Ho, 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 it's Animation Celery. Crunchy conversations about classic cartoons. Don't you want to hang out and waste your life with us? I'm Micah. I'm Matsy. This is a show where we give each other cartoons to watch and recap and review them. Uh, we're going to do some shorts today themed around the holidays. Or at least winter. Um, mm. Micah's got a couple from the National Film Board of Canada. I've got a uh, Popeye one and, oh boy, Star Wars. Yeah, first ooh. time Star Wars, I think. E yes, I mm. think so. Um, before we get to that, uh, let's open the floor to whatever. Um, how about you, Micah? What's whatever? Well, I think we got to do our advent calendar, right? Yeah, that's a thing that's oh. ever. <laughs> all right, all right. So I got a door 16 here, right? That's the date. I think, I think. Yeah, probably. Okay. 16, 17, whatever. <laughs> all right, I got, ah, it's a sticker. It's oh. A, it's a black and white sticker of olive oil. Looking kind of rough. Hmm. Oh, you know what? This is a hologram sticker. Like huh. flick it back and forth. Oh, she's getting punched in the face. This, this is from this is from the cartoon Never Kick a Woman. Look at this. Well, Oof. accurate title, I guess. Uh, if she's not being kicked. <laughs> yeah. Oof. This is pretty cool. Yeah, this oh. is a good one. Oh, good. Good. At least one of us got some good Popeye content. All right, let's see what's in mine. Uh, my tea calendar. What's the tea for today? It's, uh... Um... Oh, it's got Ninja Turtles on it. Oh, yeah? A Ninja Turtle tea could be pretty cool. What's it What's it say? Uh, Cowabunga! Ooh. Uh, this... Mm, boy, it's, it's pizza-flavored, but boy, the toppings oh, that man. they're... The toppings they're talking about on here. Uh, well, I don't know. Like, marshmallow is good. K well, kind of. I, I don't mind marshmallow. It's not my favorite, but I'll take it. Yeah. Um, and then uh, Doritos. I don't know that that goes well with, uh, with, with marshmallows. And it definitely doesn't go well with cheese and tomato. Well, I was going to say, just a base pizza. Boy, I don't know. A base pizza tea? Would have like floating cheese slag and uh, mm. uh, olive rings kind of on top of it. Yeah, I don't know about this tea. Uh, oh, it's called T M N T. Oh, cute. Yeah, okay, save Whatever. it for company, I guess. Yeah, and give it to them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. On with the news. Um, yeah. Okay, so I mentioned in a previous episode that I watched a video where the YouTuber was uh, opening packs of uh, Steven Universe cards. Oh, right, yes. And yeah, some of them like were signed. A, yeah, yeah. Like a bad host, I didn't acknowledge who it was. The YouTuber is Fofi. Okay. It's like Foamy, but with an F. Um, Fofi. Okay. Mostly he opens Pokemon stuff, I guess, which I'm not that interested in seeing, but... It pushed a different video at me, a, a recent one, where he was opening a box of Adventure Time packs. Ah, okay. Yes, and, you know, same kind of deal from Cartoon Network, um, and uh, the Chase Rares in there would be uh, signed cards by voice actors or sketches mm. by the staff. 
Oh, man, I would love a signed John DiMaggio card. <laughs> well, he opened a whole box, and the only signature he got was Ava Akers, who voices Jamaica of the Pup Gang. Wow. <laughs> yeah, the deep cut, huh? But funny enough, from an episode we reviewed. Um, yeah, yeah, it's true. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Jamaica, and, Jamaica yeah. Tuffy, and Balumbo. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, let's see, the art he got, uh, I can't remember the art, the artist, but they drew a lemon grab. <laughs> wow. Okay. Yeah. So. Yeah, um, double hit. Yeah. Yeah. Theme there. All right. And uh, the other dubious art card he got was one that uh, features uh, a renowned artist, you. So it's mostly blank on the other side, which he didn't huh. much appreciate. And he like took took a Sharpie out and made a quick fin on there. Um, well, I mean, the, yeah, there there is one instance in Adventure Time of fan art becoming canon. Hmm. There's um somebody sent in a picture of a little cat called Meemaw. And they okay. were like, OK, sure. Yeah. And so they did a cartoon where there's this tiny little cat that, just, that looks, you know, they because this cat had like it was just a black and white drawing like pen or whatever with stripes and stuff. Mm -hmm. So they just did this little cat that's all in bandages like a mummy. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's a uh, Meemaw is a uh, an acolyte of the Assassin's Guild. And to pass the test and become a full fledged assassin, he has to kill f uh, he has to kill the um, berry wildberry princess. Oh, which okay. he does by which he does by climbing inside Jake's nose with syringe of poison. And like he's going to inject this poison into Jake unless Jake kills wildberry princess. Heh, sounds pretty good. Yeah, it's, nice. it's all right. Yeah, I have to watch, check that episode out. Um, There's another so one too, but yeah. Hmm. So most, I guess the bulk of the cards were divided between uh, the title cards of each episode mm -hmm. uh, and artwork from the comic book. Okay. There were very few that were stills from the show, which is good, I think, since those are kind of cheap, I think. Yeah. And also yeah. those title cards go really quick. Like there's true, true. Like there's some where the title is so long, you can't read it in the time you're given to look at it. Like, I think there's an episode called Thanks for the Crab Apples, Giuseppe. And when you think about it, that's a really hard sentence to read in the like less than to a parse. second you're given. Right. Yeah. SpongeBob's like that, too. There's been episodes of SpongeBob where I go, I rewind because I missed the title. Mm. And then I get distracted and miss it again just because it goes by <laughs> so quickly. Right. Yeah. Um, anyway. Uh, yeah, it's pretty fun. The, the, vicariously is the only way you should probably enjoy the opening of these packs because uh, yeah. Fofi admitted to paying $500 for this box. So. Woof. Well, yeah, it's out of print and whatnot, right? Oh, um, yeah. I guess that makes sense because the show's over. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, let's see. Bird, um, the, the YouTuber that I've mentioned previously, he'll do some Pokemon card things sometimes. Yeah. But he'll, he'll do dumb stuff with it. Like he had one where he's like opening this pack and the way that he opened it was just by grabbing a pair of scissors and cutting the whole pack just in half. Huh. Um, okay. Recently he did a, uh, a Pokemon card boxing video where he had a, this booster box. It's like, okay, so I got my booster box here of, like, X-Sword, Shield, or whatever. And then he just threw it into an Amazon shipping box. Mm -hmm. I was like, okay, there we go. And that was the end of the video. 
Okay. Yeah, that's the level of comedy you get from Bird. <laughs> All right. Well, I guess we can't throw stones. Um, <laughs> I'll spare you more JoJo's. Uh, something you're more familiar with, She-Ra. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think I'm into the last season of it. Um, is Horde Prime present? He is, and I think he's cool. Okay, so that is the last season. Yeah, I usually have a distaste for posh villains. Mm-hmm. Like, a lot of the iterations of Megatron and Transformers cartoons really bug me. <laughs> but I don't think he's really posh exactly. Um, I think that he's, like, gracious, but gracious in the way <laughs> that he's personally gracious, but he's still going to wipe out your world. Yeah, um, he, he views himself as perfection and like, well, when it, whatever isn't me isn't perfection. So eh. I'm I'm not really sure if he has like a nihilist outlook, though, like if yeah. at some point when he's achieved his goal, if he just wipes himself and his whole empire out, too. Hmm. I don't think we get there unless it has a JoJo's like ending. Um. So, well, yeah, uh, I mean. <laughs> Universe reset, given given that Etheria is uh, trapped outside of the universe. So, eh. well, not anymore. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I haven't seen the Etheria weapon in action, so maybe it is kind of on that level, or at least I haven't. Um, so I think he's cool. I think his clones are not that cool. Like, well, okay, for one thing. He's got a whole bunch of robots at his disposal, too. But damned if they're not still calling them bots. <laughs> <laughs> um, there was maybe, a... maybe just for the sake of the listeners, they should back up a little bit. Um, yeah. The, this is another spoiler. So go watch She-Ra. Yeah. Okay, now There's you're fewer, back. Fewer than 190. Okay, yeah. Okay, yeah. yeah. So... So what's happened here basically is through the whole thing, there's been Hordak who's been subservient to Horde Prime. Well, it right. turns out that Hordak is an imperfect clone of a perfect supposedly being called Horde Prime. And now Hordak has been kind of deposed as the main threat because Etheria has kind of reestablished contact because it was cut off from the universe, I think, in a dimension called Despondos. And now right. it's it's out of there. And Hordak has been supplanted by the actual Horde Prime, the real Hordak, uh, as as the main villain of the show. Right. This is what well, Mike his, is talking about. His stuff is still called bots, and that bugs me. Yeah. I, I wonder if on the design sheet it just says bot one, bot two, and bot three. <laughs> um, anyway, the uh, his shock troopers aren't, aren't that threatening either. It, I guess... It's kind of like um, the princesses are level 11 characters that are having to go through a gauntlet of encounter level three <laughs> uh, situations. Maybe it's just if you have enough of them that it's a problem, but I wish they were a little more threatening. Like, I wish the average Joe Schmo of Horde Prime was still dangerous. Hmm. Um, well, I guess you can think of it like... You know, thinking about Dungeons and Dragons characters, like yeah. the uh, post third edition, starting in fourth and into fifth, uh, Wizards of the Coast kind of established the, the the idea that the player characters are special. Like, yeah, they can do things that nobody else can. And so maybe that's the thing here where it's like all these 
um, uh, allies and troops of Horde Prime would be an insurmountable obstacle for anyone else, but the princesses are special. The princesses are superheroes. Sure, okay, I guess. Actually, the the action is quite violent. <laughs> They're mm. just smashing the heck out of these, or freezing them mm. out of these uh, shock troopers, but... Um, actually, thinking about the whole idea that the uh, that Etheria transported from Despondos into the uh, vacuum of outer space... Mm. That's pretty dramatic, right? Like, <laughs> I wonder if it would dramatically change the temperature of the planet. Obviously not, I guess. Mm, probably not. I mean, it's probably just still in its old sol its own solar system, distant enough from other stars that they don't impact it. It's probably got dramatically increased radiation now, too, though. <laughs> anyway, um, so one thing I'm taking note of here is that uh, She-Ra has great season-ending climaxes. Oh, yeah. The last episodes are great. Um, even though this is a show aimed for kids, and I don't think anything too bad is going to happen usually, um, the way it's presented just works. Like, the, the music is good. Mm -hmm. um, I think another reason why the uh, last episode of each season is so good is that while there's talking in it, it's usually... Uh, along with action, you know, whether that's fighting, traveling, or maybe somebody's searching for somebody who's hiding, you know, that mm. kind of thing. Yeah. Um, I think that helps a lot. And actually it kind of uh, reinforces a comparison I had of this to Teen Titans or Avatar The Last Airbender. Mm-hmm. That all of those are shows with some design work that to my taste is so bad that it makes me a little angry, <laughs> um, has adolescent characters that just will not stop screaming. And yet, uh, the action is thoughtful. You know, the, 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 the fighting and such is, is, is mm -hmm. pretty neat. The animation yeah. is good for those things. Yeah. Um, and it's just easy to watch and involving. So yeah. I think that's why they work. I've, yeah. noticed, I've watched tons of series with terrible climaxes yeah. just because they're so hard to portray and this show does it pretty well. Um, yeah, it does. Yeah. So, so have you finished it now? Oh, I've not finished it. No, I'm okay. in the last okay. season. Like I said, I think, I okay. think, I think, okay. um, I do like, uh, the Catra and Glimmer dynamic yeah. since they're spending so much time together. I think it's more that Catra pulls Glimmer into the good lane the villain lane, you know, because <laughs> Catra is a more serious character. Yeah. Whereas when you put Glimmer with, you know, uh, Frost or whoever, there's just going to be a lot of screaming and stupidity. So yeah, Glimmer, Actually, I think that Glimmer bugs me because she Adora to some extent, too, but especially yeah. Glimmer. She always sounds like she's on the verge of tears. Like oh, I see. Always sounds like everything that she's saying, she's about to start crying. Like it's always well, so dramatic and terrifying. Yeah, especially last season and this and this last last one. Mm. Yeah, I can see it. But actually, one of the saving graces I found these uh, the last couple episodes I've watched, the male characters have largely been absent. <laughs> boys, <laughs> boys ruin everything as far as Shira goes. <laughs> God, I was glad Seahawk basically didn't even talk in that one episode. You <laughs> saw him a couple times, and that's bad enough, but uh, uh, yeah, I was like, 
it was it was it was he was without dialogue it was just a montage of showing what each princess was doing as uh, they got tricked into using oh that's another good thing actually as they got, as i say as they got tricked into activating their stones um they found interesting things to do with light hope as well yeah like the original Shira, I always felt there was just kind of a glut of too many concepts. Hmm. So, yeah, Light Hope was one of those things that was just one too much. But they did interesting stuff with her in uh, in this iteration of Shira. Well, yeah, in the original, they needed a sorceress analog. So I don't know here, but in yeah. this one, it's like she's training the new Shira, but also hiding what actually needs to be done. Yeah. Like, also for settings that there's like, there's this castle and then there's this castle, but there's also this castle for the original <laughs> Shira. Whereas they made the settings matter a little more in this one. Yeah. Yeah. I wish it could have gotten a more adult treatment like uh, revelation masters of the universe revelation did. Hmm. So we could get things that were a little heavier, right? Like how stunning would it have been? Had these princesses been devising a rescue plan for glimmer and they just, when they eventually get there, we haven't seen her for an episode two. We find that Hordax crucified her or something. <laughs> that would be devastating. But as it is now, I know there's basically no, no real threat to any character. <laughs> well, anyway, I mean, Queen Angela didn't exactly. You well, know, she, I think she survived, but she's uh, no longer in the picture. Yeah, she got a bloodless finish. But like I said, a good, a good climactic episode again. Yeah. Yeah. A good season ender. Um, anyway, I guess that's my stuff there. Fofi, Jojo, Shira. Yeah, yeah, that checks all the boxes. What about you, Matsy? Um, I worked overtime this week, so I lost a day. Um, oh, no. So let's see. What did I manage to do? I was visiting my parents last night, and my mm -hmm. dad had found... We, we exchanged things that we found on the internet. Um, okay. He he had found something I was completely unaware existed. Um you know the syndicated newspaper comic, The Wizard of Id? The King is a Fink. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so apparently Jim Henson did a pilot Muppet episode of The King of uh, The Wizard of Id. Yeah, yeah. So you can find it on YouTube and it's like, it's The Wizard of Id, but it's Muppets. Um, you know, it's, it's an interesting little bit of Jim Henson lore like oh i didn't know he did this and uh yeah he totally did and it's the wizard of it and yeah who cares um, well i don't know it, you know it's funny it's neat that it exists I, <laughs> I i had the running joke in wizard of it ready and yet i don't think i can remember one comic from wizard of it no me neither i yeah no no that's nothing um and then of course <laughs> since he was like oh since he, he had found this obscure Jim Henson thing, I was like, have you ever seen the Wilkins coffee commercials? And he's like, no, what's that? I was like, oh, oh you mean those, those old ones with prototype Kermit? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So for people who don't know what I'm talking about, look on YouTube and you'll find it. It's all these black and white commercials from the 50s Jim Henson made uh, for Wilkins coffee. And it's these, it looks like it's fake. It looks like it's Don Hertzfeld's rejected. Like it's that level of twisted. Yeah, yeah. But these are real. It's, oh, yeah. It's, it's this little... His puppetry's real simple, too. Yeah, it's this little, like yeah. you said, proto-Kermit, um, who has become affectionately known as Wilkin, and this other mm. little blob 
who is people call Wontkin. And <laughs> the idea is that Wilkin wants Wontkin to drink Wilkin's coffee or ask not he's like, Do you want some Wilkin's coffee? Or something like that. <laughs> and Wonk and Wonkin is always like, No, I don't like Wilkins. And then <laughs> Wilkin will do something terrible to Wonkin. Like literally shoot him with a gun. Or, yes. <laughs> or drop him out of a hot air balloon or feed him to a shark or like drop him out of a tree. Like really amazingly violent stuff. Like, yeah, Jim, if, Jim Henson may be the darkest Mormon ever. <laughs> <laughs> like, the first, if you, there's a, I think a 15 minute video that might be all of them, and the first one it shows is he's got a cannon. He's like, you want a cup of Wilkins yes. coffee? No, I don't like Wilkins. And he shoots him with the cannon, and then points the cannon at the viewer and says, no, what do you think of Wilkins? Like, whoa! <laughs> my, there was a point where my mom actually had like covered her face because Wontkin was tied to a log in a sawmill going towards a saw. Man, she, she had I, seen enough of it at that point. She's like, I don't want to see what's going to happen here. I don't know if I envy people like that, <laughs> but it always it always shocks me to realize how desensitized I am when somebody sees something like that and gasps. <laughs> well, at that point, she had seen so many. It's like they're not shying away from, you know, cannons and knives and things and it's like and so you see you know in a in a cartoon whenever you see that gag you know that the the girl who's tied to the log is going to get rescued but in Mm -hmm. this case you know that the muppet tied to the log is not going to get rescued and so it becomes how graphic is this going to be turns out not graphic at all they cut away but boy it's sure implied that something bad happened I wonder uh, if someone owns the rights to those guys now. Oh, really? Is it I kind of would like to see them back. Yeah, I, I wouldn't there's, mind seeing a Wilkin of shorts. If you look, there's actually some color um, versions for yeah. Red Diamond Coffee. And it's the same thing. It's the same Muppets, oh, yeah. the same gags, um, same voices. Um, but it's a different brand of coffee. Uh, I, I want to say it might be from the 80s, but I'm not sure. But uh, yeah, so these characters did come back for different extant coffee because Wilkins, I believe, is out of business. Um, yeah. I don't know how. Um, so yeah, there was that. Um, <laughs> and the other thing that I did was I decided that I wanted to catch up on Rick and Morty because oh, it's been okay. several episodes since I last saw it in here in this season six. And so yeah. I loaded up the most or the the first episode that I hadn't watched yet, which is called Full Meta Jack Rick, I think. OK. And I got about halfway through and went, I think this is the point where I'm done with Rick and Morty. Oh, OK. I was always barely interested in it because it was somewhat amusing and it had interesting sci-fi. But yeah. this one was just so obnoxious that I was like, I bet fans of Rick and Morty think this is the best thing that's ever since Pickle Rick. Yeah. But for me, I'm like, I cannot handle this. It was like this story <laughs> about they were. I don't even know if I can describe it. It was this this these beings that existed in a meta 
narrative, like outside the story of Rick and Morty manipulating the story of Rick and Morty, but only Rick was like aware of it. Um, so they had like, it starts with previously on Rick and Morty and it's got a couple clips from things that had happened before, but then they start getting more and more outlandish. Like summer is pregnant mm. and Jerry is dead. And the whole time Rick is looking more and more suspicious until he finally, like he gets, uh, Morty to say like, say next time we're in a titanium alloy chamber or whatever. And, and so he does. And then they end up in this chamber where the meta field doesn't penetrate or whatever. And then mm. they're like, okay, we just have to go through the credits now. And that like, it goes through the opening credit sequence, except there's Rick and Morty, a different Rick and Morty flying through over top of it. And Morty's like screaming, what's happening? Why are we on this planet? What? Um, mm. The only things that I thought were cute about it were that the the creature that was causing this is a little bug thing named they said his name was Leon and I was like okay fine but then they said that his full name was previous Leon and I was like okay uh, that's kind of yeah. all right yeah yeah um but no like I said I got halfway through and there's this story lord who's from a previous episode who went to find his creator and find his motivation and I'm like I, I don't care about any of this I'm done Part of the reason okay. <laughs> that I went back to this Rick and Morty in the first place is because I started to question, like, every title of an episode is a pun on an existing thing with the words Rick and Morty somewhere in it. Like, like right. I said, the title of this episode is, is full meta Jack Rick. Or and there's a previous one, I think it was like, I think it was called Sam Rick Mort or something. Um, and it's all like incomprehensible names and I right it got to the point where I'm looking at it's like okay this has to be they have to be thinking of this as a running gag not as something clever and then I started right. to think how much more of the stuff that annoys me about Rick and Morty is are they doing not because they're lazy but as a parody of laziness like right because I, I saw I saw what what triggered this was I saw a mobile ad and it just had this you know night guy and he's going towards the screen or whatever. And his lip, he's in this kind of frowny looking determined face. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like if you picture Jimmy from South Park, how he has this kind of upward going frown, upward sideways frown thing. Like, I'm okay. sure you can picture the expression I'm talking about here. But I thought... I think so, yeah. But I thought, you can't actually make that face. Like you can't, you, you can't really do that with your mouth, but you see it all the time. And right. then I thought about the weird, like, down-drooping tube lips that every character in Ricky Morty gets in every situation. And I started to think, now, wait a minute. Is that... I always thought that was just a dumb expression that nobody ever uses except for this show. But are mm. they doing it as a parody of facial expressions that appear in cartoons that nobody actually does? I started to think, how... How much of the stuff I don't like about Rick and Morty is them being self-aware and parodying? And so my intention, huh. my intention was to go through and kind of look at it with that lens. But okay. then this episode was just so bad that I, I gave up on that plan. Okay. Um, Your experiment got derailed. Yeah. I was like, uh-oh, there's other, wait a minute, there's other problems with Rick and Morty that I can't overlook for the sake of... You know, experimenting with how self-aware they are and how bad their stuff is. 
Have you ever heard of a live action TV series called Dummy? I don't think so. It was on, oh God, what was the platform? It was on a streaming service that was supposed to be only for your phone and only for a few minutes. <laughs> I can't remember the name of this thing. It, it, it failed terribly. Yeah. Um, but anyway, this was pr- produced for it. It was called Dummy. And speaking of meta, I think it stars the person who writes it, at least some version of her. Mm. And her boyfriend in the show is the creator of Rick and Morty. Like um, Justin Roiland or Dan Harmon? I think it's Dan Harmon, yeah. Okay. Um, so the premise of the show is that she's uh, over at his place and she finds his sex doll <laughs> and he says, Oh, I'm sorry. You know, this is just, uh, we're sex positive, right? This is just something I like to do once in a while. Um, so she pretends that she's okay with it. Right. But mm-hmm. then, uh, she thinks the doll is talking to her <laughs> and, uh, um, she forms like a bond with this doll. Hmm. It helps her write. Um, and at some point he's like, oh, you know what? I, I'm ready to move ahead. It's fine. I'm, I'm sorry I have this thing. So he throws it in the trash, but then she fishes it out hmm. because it's too important to her. <laughs> it's such a funky series, and I really enjoyed it. I mean, after a season, there, there won't be any more than the first season because well, yeah. the platform was on died. But yeah. Uh, um, yeah, so if you don't like Rick and Morty, maybe you'll like Dummy. <laughs> <laughs> Quibby. Was it Quibby? Might be Quibby. That sounds like it might be a thing. Yeah, I think th- I think that was what it was called. Short-lived American short-form yep. streaming platform. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, it. I just looked up Dummy, and it says that it was on Quibby. So, well, the, that's the thing is that it was on. Um, yeah. So when Quibby failed, it's now on my Roku programming. Ah. One day I was just experimenting and like, well, I have free Roku stuff. What's on there? Hey, Dummy. Actually, funny enough, that was the same night that I watched Persepolis because it's on there too. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Well. Yeah. We should we should probably get to our main event. Yeah. Okay. Sure. Um. It's who? me though. I oh, think it's here. it's you. Okay. To, yeah. 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 Okay. It's, I was, uh, me I was talking wondering. about some special delivery. All right. Um. Okay. So the first of my national film board shorts is Special Delivery by John Weldon and Eunice McCauley in 1978. Um. So at the start here, uh, some melodramatic organ music forebodes a dark tale, and it gives way to the title and narrator. Uh, The whole cartoon is narrated with just, like, gasps and muttering for the other voice acting. Mm. Um, Alice Phelps leaves for judo class, but before she goes, she delegates to her husband, Ralph, that he clean off the snow and ice from the front walk. And he just doesn't do it, and he takes off. Uh, But when he returns home, he finds the mailman dead on the steps from slipping on the ice and breaking his neck. Uh, Fearing the wrath of the letter carrier's union, he takes the body inside and plots on how to dispose of it. And as he thinks it over, he realizes that the police will suspect him because the daily mail will have been delivered up to but not beyond his house. (laughs) So he... (laughs) <laughs> he considers turning himself in until the prospect of financial harm due to liability. So, you know, this guy's all heart, man. <laughs> so he has a drink to steady his nerves 
then undresses the mailman, uh, leaving him naked in the chair. And then Ralph dresses as the mailman and completes his deliveries in order to clear that clue. But when he returns home, he finds that he left the key in his own pants, so he tries to break in through the window. A couple policemen catch him in the act and accuse him of breaking in, and because he's got a dead body inside, he doesn't press the issue, and he just goes along with the arrest. <laughs> um, <laughs> so Alice comes home, finds the window forced open, the naked mailman, the pile of clothes, and the open bottle of booze. You see, she had an affair with this mailman, so she surmises that he snuck in through the window to surprise her, but while he waited, he drunk half a bottle of whiskey, passed out naked. Uh, so she redresses the stiff, uh, drives him to his apartment, and carries him up the stairs and puts him to carries him up the stairs. I think I would have tried to wake him up at that point. She's yeah. she, she's judo strong though, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's only when she gives him a goodbye kiss that she realizes that he's not drunk but dead. Uh, this leads her to hypothesize that Ralph had found him naked and waiting for her, then killed the mailman as a crime of passion. And she further imagines that her husband will come to kill her next. So she flees the province to start a new life elsewhere. Hmm. <laughs> Meanwhile, fake mailman Ralph is gotten out of jail by the letter carrier's union. When he returns home, he's perplexed to find the corpse gone. But, you know, whatever. He counts himself lucky and burns his uniform. So when the mailman, neither the real one nor the imposter, shows up for his trial date, the police go to his home and find him dead in bed. They're the same police from earlier, but they figure he just looks different because he's dead. <laughs> and, and the coroner, he reasons that the mailman guiltily dreamed that he was being hanged for his crime and thus broke his own neck as a spastic reflex. That's some straight-up JoJo's Bizarre Adventure <laughs> stuff. <laughs> or, or, in Return of the Dark Knight, Joker finishes breaking his own neck by twisting it voluntarily around. So, I guess like that, too. Yeah. Um, anyway, all's well that ends well. Ralph lives the rest of his life without his old battle-axe Alice around. And he learns nothing and never cleans the walk. <laughs> so this is a dark cartoon. Yeah, it is. Uh, visually, visually, it's all like pencil crayon. Yeah, um, you pretty much know John Weldon when you see him. Yeah, true, true. I like this though. I like uh, makes me nostalgic for maybe maybe a National Film Board still makes stuff like this, but I don't think quite as much. You know where you'd get your grants and show up at the National Film Board, use their equipment, and produce something like this. Um, yeah. And when I say like this, though, uh, this 1978 cartoon is kind of like a modern TV show that would appear on HBO or AMC or one of those cable channels, you know? <laughs> a little bit, yeah. Yeah, yeah, a where whole, stuff goes wrong. A whole and season people... compressed into one short cartoon, yes. yeah. <laughs> yeah, something goes wrong and people compound it by doing selfish and stupid things. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> Although, you know what? I kind of like stories, rare as they are, where somebody does something wrong, but then gets away with it. Yeah. They're not caught. Yeah. I, I, I sort of am tired of stories where somebody goes to great lengths to hide something, but not all. You know, they get their comeuppance at the end. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, oh, it's it's fun. Like it's it's a cute little cartoon. It it tells a neat story. Um, it won the Academy Award for Best Animated Short. <laughs> um, so it's it's got a it's got a penis in it. It um, does. Think, yes. Yeah, we haven't seen a penis since Kiriku and the Sorceress. <laughs> oh yeah, that. <laughs> yeah, it didn't break our nudity barrier, but yeah. yeah. There's another. Um, well, whatever. Oh. Yeah, according to the wiki, this had a, speaking of like grants and stuff, this had a budget of $35,000. Uh-huh. In today's money, that would be 135000 I assume they mean Canadian bucks. Yeah, well, probably, I would hope. Yeah. Mostly, mostly I think that would be to like um, the work involved. Like, I mean, yeah. to paying people to, to get by while making this. Yeah, I, I, I mean, agree. Uh, otherwise, it's like $35,000 worth of paper and pencil crayons. Well, well, yeah. and this, But this had like a staff of five people, like one for yeah. the music. And yeah, it was a very, yeah. very tight project. Sure. Yeah. Um, but, nope. you know, like you said, that's what the National Film Board is for, to, uh, right. you know, give people that platform to do what they want to do here. I don't think I'd seen this one. Really? Hmm. Oh, I actually, I I knew that because I've asked you about it before and you said no. I think it was when, I think it was when I gave you Spinolio, also by John Weldon. Oh, right. If I'd seen, yeah, I guess he's kind of (laughs) dark. He can be. Um, Yeah. He did that, um, was that Wabbit one? The the Rabbit. Um, Yeah, that one I had seen, yeah. and, And of course, the Log Driver's Waltz. Not so dark. Not That's so the one that's on TV, accordingly. Yeah, 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 yeah. That one's that was good. Hey, speaking of stuff that's on TV, Oof. as opposed to in theaters, yeah. Yeah, man, man. Okay, so, <laughs> <sighs> so we've watched a bunch of Popeye on this. Yeah, channel. good times. Always the old ones from like the 30s and 40s and stuff. Yeah. Well, this one's from 1960, and mm. it's called Spinach Greetings. And the title is already lazier than most Popeye cartoons, but you ain't seen nothing yet. You ain't kidding, man. I looked up holiday Popeye cartoons, and the first one is Season's Greetings. Like, they didn't even go that far with this one. (laughs) Yeah, so this is like TV style. This is kind of like the Harvey tunes, like little, uh, uh, little Audrey and stuff like that kind of animation, like really limited animation. When you think about the animation of those original Popeye cartoons, which are so, so much to it. Um, well, well, let me explain what it is first and then we can talk about the minutia of it. Um, so it's Popeye and the gang, the gang being olive oil, wimpy and the baby sweet pea, which I don't think we've seen yet on this show. Um, and Popeye's reciting the night before Christmas, ending every word in k. Night hmm. before Christmas. Yeah, I don't. I can't even do it. So I guess there's a voice acting talent there. Um, mm. There is one thing of note here. There's it. It shows all their stockings. Um, Olive mm. oil, of course, has an actual stocking, which is like her legs, long and skinny. Um, hmm. Wimpy's. Has a hole in the bottom, but a bin underneath to catch all the goodies. So, you know, I guess the idea is just keep putting stuff in and it never fills up. Um, And during this sequence, a mouse, when when Popeye mentions not a creature stirring, even a mouse, um, (laughs) a mouse shows up 
to hammer its own little stocking up. Mm. Now, that'll be relevant later. Barely. Mm. Um, now, while this is going on outside, because this is a TV Popeye, we need a recurring villain. And uh, in this case, it's the sea hag who is basically just a green witch who has a vulture mm-hmm. and being a villain. She hates Christmas and she thinks it's all Santa's fault. So the idea here is that she's going to send her vulture to go capture Santa Claus. That'll ruin Christmas. Um, so the bird does that as Popeye puts mm-hmm. Sweet Pea to bed. And um, while he's putting Sweet Pea to bed, the, the vulture snatches Santa from a reindeer shaped jet because, you know, it's modern. He doesn't have a sleigh and reindeer is 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 he just has a little jet that's shaped like a reindeer. OK, yeah, um, she ties Santa up and he says sheds silent tears as she begins smashing all the toys from his sack. And at this, now, and it, I got to say, I kind of like this. <laughs> I like villains that are joyously wicked. Well, that's true. Yeah. And this had me wondering, did they have a voice actor for Santa or is he just going to be silent this whole time? Yeah. So back at home, Popeye and the crew hear Santa's jet approaching and they all <laughs> hide. And this has one of the only good gags in this in this cartoon where yes. and, it's, and it's not even that good. Um, oh, OK, well, I guess there's two. Um, Popeye jumps into a drawer. OK, wimpy. <laughs> You can see it coming. He hides under the dinner table, which still has a turkey on it, or I guess a mm. chicken. And then, you know, a beat. And then his arm reaches out and grabs the chicken. Yeah, mm-hmm. okay. That's that's not the not even the best wimpy eating a chicken that I've seen in this podcast. But <laughs> it's, uh, you know, you take what you can get here. All um, right. And then olive oil. I also got a chuckle out of olive oil hiding behind a lamp. Just because... Yeah, that was funny. That is kind of funny. Yeah. Um, But then they hear the plane crash. And so they go out to investigate. Good thing it crashed by Popeye's house. Mm-hmm. Popeye finds the vulture feather in the wreckage, but not Santa. And so he figures out that the sea hag has captured Santa. And so he goes to her hideout. And there he catches her. Now she's burning the toys, just throwing them into the fireplace. <laughs> He sneaks yeah. in to try to untie Santa, but he's spotted by the vulture and walloped. So... Yeah, what a right hook from that vulture. Yeah, really. <laughs> yeah. And so it's spinach time, even though the sea hag tells him she's smart enough to say get him before he eats the spinach. But uh, he gets this... He's swallowing the spinach as the vulture flies away with him, which is so the writers don't have to write, nor do the animators have to animate a clever gag with, like, you know... A thousand ton weight showing up in his bicep or, you know, the hmm. the swelling going like ding, ding throughout his down to his feet and back up to his arms or whatever. No, no, no. The animators don't have to do any of that. We also don't have to see the fight because he just shows up with the vulture as a cooked uh, bird. Morbid. Yeah. Um, but I guess the sea hag was prepared for this because she pulls a lever and, uh, you know, the, the classic trap door with a long well, and at the bottom, there's two alligators waiting. And she stomps on his fingers to make sure that he falls in there. But again, the animators don't have to worry about drawing Popeye fighting anything, because uh, just some alligator bags, which make good luck, uh, good uh, Christmas gifts, pop up you out know, of the had, thing. Hmm? 
we had a couple of weeks where we had constant alligator or shark pits. Yeah. <laughs> it's been about a year since we had one of those. Yeah, but enough that I still recognized it. Mm. Anyway, yeah, so that happens. And uh, I guess with her vulture and pit trap defeated, the sea hag just throws a tantrum. Uh, Santa flies away. He does say happy Christmas to all and to all a good night. So they did have a voice actor for him. Yeah. Um, and we get to see the stockings. Wimpy's ploy worked because the mm. the the bin is full of presents. And also that mice mouse shows up at the end with a piece of cheese. In the stocking, I should mm. say. Yeah, I thought Santa would have been mute. <laughs> I thought <laughs> so too. Yeah, yeah. I was like, oh, point. they actually did. I was actually kind of disappointed because, like, you know, at least if he didn't talk at all, it'd have some charm. Um, you know, speaking of voices, though, hmm. it says that Jack Mercer did this Popeye voice. It does not compute for me. Well, the thing is, he's reading the script. Right. If it is him, like, this is, I said, I think I said originally, when I was young, I didn't like Popeye. It was only later yeah. that I came to appreciate him. And now I realize that it's because this was the Popeye that I was watching as a kid. Because this is lazy. It's not animated. There's no, there's none of that running, um, you know, ad-libbed gibberish from any of the characters yeah. going on. I don't even think he sounds that good as Popeye, though, even no. just talking. Well, I mean, he's also, you know, he's going to be like at least 20 years older at this point. Yeah, I guess. Maybe the passion's gone. Yeah, really. <laughs> from doing Popeye. Yeah, but I think it's just too, like it's too regimented. Like it's too scripted. Yeah. Like they like Probably. say this and nothing else, but the whole charm of Popeye. Oh, and also the limited animation, the limited cheap animation, whereas the nice fluid animation, even if it loops animation cycles, at least the animation is nice. Um, right. And just the charm of Popeye saying funny things under his breath the whole time. Um, yes. Yes. I, I, I bet they, did more tradition like those old Popeyes they did the voice work afterwards so they mm. had something to play off of so I guess also he was just reading a script and didn't have anything to look at and make puns off of and the like yeah but also probably probably just was done with Popeye maybe well maybe I mean <laughs> um, the 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 producers of it definitely were but this is oh yes like this is where Popeye like I said I, I can't put it any better than I already did this is why I didn't like Popeye for like 30 well, even years even worse even worse, because those fifty ones, those ones from the fifties, are still, um, they're still theater short quality. This is terrible. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I do like Sea Hag for some villain variety. I guess. Um, oh, you're talking about the, the the producers are different. This is directed by Seymour Nightel, mm. who started as an in betweener at Fleischer Studios, but quickly became a head animator. <laughs> and he he did he did fine work back then on Popeye and Betty Boop. And then he got to be a higher creative on those excellent Superman cartoons. Mm -hmm. And then what happened when Fleischer Studios became famous studios? He became a director, but ugh, um, not so good. Maybe they just didn't hire a new in-betweener. <laughs> yes. <laughs> no, no, no fresh talent up the pipeline. Or, or maybe he's just like, I know how hard in-betweening is, so nobody 
has to do it. Nobody do it. Yeah, yeah. I was amazed. I was amazed the degree of animation to him opening the window. They spent all their time on that. <laughs> oh gosh. I mean, I noticed. I noticed things like you talked last week when we were talking about the Flintstones. You mentioned, and you've mentioned before. Um, yeah. The color variation Cell when cells are on top yeah. of each other, and there's obvious things like you know where the the sleeve of Popeye's arm that's waving is a noticeably brighter white than the rest of his outfit is. Um, yeah, just God, this is this is why I didn't like Popeye for so long. And I can't like that's all I can say. This is why I didn't like Popeye for so long. Next. Um, yeah, OK, something of <laughs> something with his uh, vitriol to equal your opinion of Popeye, the sweater <laughs> uh, directed by Roche Calier in 1950. Is that right? Nineteen seventy nine. Seventy nine. Yeah, that sounds more accurate. Okay. Or um, actually, the book was published in nineteen seventy nine. What about the uh, eighty? Eighty. So okay. Immediately afterward. Okay. Yeah. Um, okay. So it begins with some jaunty music and animation of pastel drawings. They establish a snowy small village setting of Saint Justine, Quebec. Um, the narrator then picks up to speak of the two mandatory weekly events of the author's youth. Uh, Sunday Mass at church and the Saturday night hockey game. Hockey night in Canada. Every, yeah. And like all the rest of Canada, everybody listens to the hockey and few thrill to the scoring prowess of Montreal Canadian Maurice Richard, like the little boy that the narrator was in 1946. Um, of course, every boy wears the Canadian's sweater of Maurice Richard and idolizes the heroic hockey forward. When it comes to playing pond hockey, all the skaters are virtual Maurice Richards. Five Rocket Richards versus the other five Rocket Richards. <laughs> oh, what joy to be a boy. Eventually, this boy outgrows his sweater, though, and so his mother orders him a new one through the Eaton's Company catalog. Eaton's... Because she doesn't... Eaton's yeah. uh, was kind of like a Canadian equivalent of Sears and suffered a similar fate yeah, yeah. eventually. Oh, yes. Um, anyway, she doesn't understand the English-heavy order form, so she writes a letter directly to Monsieur Eaton uh, to request the replacement sweater. Two weeks later... The package arrives in the mail, but shock, rather than the blue, blanc et rouge sweater of the Canadiens, a blue and white sweater of the rival Toronto Maple Leafs is sent. Oh, no. <laughs> this could be written today. <laughs> um, he declares that he will never wear the sweater, but his mother insists that he wear it and not be concerned with such frivolous things. Imaginary Maurice Richard puts an arm around him like, you tell her, kid. Um, she declares that sending another letter to Anglophone Mr. Eaton will offend him, and it could be spring before the replacement comes. In the meanwhile, he will miss every game of pond hockey out of pride. And so it is that he timidly shows up to the rink. All the other players reject him, and even the coach benches him. The boy anxiously waits, and when a player is hurt, he joyously takes to the ice to replace him, but the referee penalizes him 
for being the sixth man on the ice. He throws a fit, believing that the penalty is only because of his sweater, and he breaks his stick on the ice. The Catholic curate uh, chastises him for losing his temper and demands that he go to the church to beg God for forgiveness. You know, actually, the priest perceives that the boy is full of vanity because he's wearing a maple leaf sweater. So probably the boy is right on all counts that he's being ostracized because of it. Mm. Um, anyway, he's in church. Instead of repenting, he, the boy prays to God that he send a hundred million moths to eat his maple leaf sweater. <laughs> for, <laughs> for staying pure to the Canadiens, imaginary Maurice Richard shakes the boy's hand like, boy. <laughs> yeah. Now, in contrast to special delivery, I've seen this like a hundred times. Yeah. As filler on the movie channel, you know, to get to the half hour breaks, mm -hmm. or late at night on Canadian cable TV. Yeah. Um. However, like special delivery, uh, it's more of this national film uh, board funded cartoons that. Uh, show characters that are selfish and really poor of character. <laughs> <laughs> kind of. Well, you know, a little kid fan of hockey. Like, how would you feel if you ordered a Vancouver Canucks sweater and they sent you the Calgary Flames? Ooh. Yeah. Or worse, the Oilers. Yeah. Uh, I just looked up um, out of curiosity. Um, apparently, this story takes place in 1946. That's what I said, yeah. Uh, do you know who won the Stanley Cup in 1946? Was it ironically the Maple Leafs? Well, it depends on your definition of 1946. Cause, oh, because it was wartime, well, right? it would be... Because the Stanley Cup is generally awarded in the, like, spring around this time. Um, yeah. Let me see. 1946 Stanley Cup Finals. Uh, the, 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 uh, for, oh, yeah. March, late March, early April is when this took place. So if this was winter of 1946, I guess this would have been the following season. So okay. the 1946 Stanley Cup was won by the Montreal Canadiens. Okay. Who beat the Boston Bruins. But mm. if we consider this. In the winter of 1946, like during the 46-47 season, the Montreal Canadiens lost in the Stanley Cup Finals to the Toronto Maple Leafs. Huh. The first of three consecutive Stanley Cups for the Maple Leafs. Hmm. I guess in a 16-league, somebody has to win it. Well, yeah. And even to this day, like the two teams that have won the most Stanley Cups ever are the Montreal Canadiens and the Toronto Maple Leafs. Just because mm. of all those, they were so good. Racking up. They were just so good yeah, back in the original six era. But this isn't a podcast about hockey. It's a podcast Not about cartoons. Most of the time. So, sometimes it ends up being, yeah, sometimes, yeah. yeah. This is a story about a galaxy far, far away. Oh, huh? uh, do you have anything else you want to say about the sweater? Because I kind of hijacked you there. Oh, okay. Um, no, not really. I mean, I guess I would say that I've never actually owned a hockey jersey. Mm. Uh, you've probably owned several. I have. Well, <laughs> I have. I have owned three. Well, yeah. I guess. Well, 
I, I got one that was like not an actual team sweater. It was a Molson Canadian beer sweater. <laughs> okay. Um, I had, it doesn't count, I think. Yeah, I had a, a Vancouver Canucks one from yeah. the era when they were uh, red, like red, purple, and silver or whatever it was. The late, oh, late night. The ugly yeah, era. Yeah, so I have yeah. one. And also it was when home jerseys were white. So it's a white uh, jersey with the blue and whatever. Um, God. I own a a more recent Vancouver Canucks sweater. It's not the current one, but it's the one from just before where it's the current design, but it says the word Vancouver across the top, which I never liked. I actually appreciate it when they got rid of that in recent years. Hmm. Um, and I own a fourth sweater, which was, I kind of inherited because my girlfriend at the time had purchased it from value village, which is a secondhand store. Um, hmm. and it is a, maybe it was home at the time cause it's white but home or away, however you want to look at it. Uh, Jersey of the Colorado Avalanche. Huh. So I have that. Oh, okay. Hmm. Oh, and my my current Canucks one is autographed yes. by Canuck great Trevor Linden. Hey, pretty snazzy. I got to meet him. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, you got anything or should I move on to the the... The spectacular finale here. <laughs> yeah, I think I think I'm ready for some Wookiee action. Yeah. Okay. So, throughout the years, you may have heard rumors of this Star Wars Christmas special, officially the Star mm. Wars Holiday Special. Um. Now, I didn't watch that, but I watched the animated segment that shows up in the middle of it. Because most of it's live action. Yes. Like, it's not just some knockoff thing. Like, this came out in 19... No. This came out in 1979. Or is it 8? Right. Um, 78. 78. The year I was born. Yeah, right after. Right after Star Wars. Yes, indeed. Uh, this Star Wars, yeah. the original Star Wars, now known as Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope, came out in <laughs> 1977. The yeah. next, the sequel... Uh, now known as Star Wars Episode Five: The Empire Strikes Back, would not come out until 1980. So think about that. The only canon for Star Wars that we have at this point is the first movie. But based on that, they made a holiday special. And it was not, like I said, it was not half-assed. It had the, the cast. It had Mark Hamill oh. and Carrie Fisher and Harrison Ford, Anthony Daniels Eight. as C-3PO, <laughs> Peter Mayhew as... Uh, uh, the what's his name? The Wookiee, Chewbacca. Um, Wait, he doesn't do the voice of Chewbacca. Well, oh, but he's in it. I yeah. don't. He's, he's in the live He's in stuff. the. He's in the yeah. suit. I have not been able to find a credit for who does the voice of Chewbacca. No, that was that was they melded the sound engineer melded a whole bunch of different animals together to make his oh sound. Uh, okay. Yeah. So. so anyway, yeah, this thing came out and it was kind of a train wreck to the point that George yeah. Lucas you know, who loves everything, uh, hmm. disowned it, basically, and has just fiercely refused to ever have it published in any kind of, like, it's never been on any kind of home video format. My understanding, though, is that this cartoon is on Disney+, Plus because this is the part yeah. that people think is good. It was animated by hmm. Nelvana, uh, as they were, I guess, preparing for their epic rock and rule. 
And you can tell from mm-hmm. looking at it that this is the same oh, people yeah. that made rock and roll. I sh- what it looks like is the devil and Daniel Mouse quite a mm. bit. Or or the Pasta Shapes commercials that uh, are bigger, <laughs> bigger, thicker 3D thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so let me see. Some context for this is that the Christmas special has something to do with Life Day, the holiday on the Wookiee planet of Kashyyyk. Uh, and so I don't know. I didn't actually watch the holiday special. I said I might, but I decided yeah. that I just have such a low tolerance for bad things that I probably couldn't. Um, oh, well, okay. Good choice then, I guess. Yeah. Um, so it involves other Wookiees. Like Chewbacca has a wife and kids, apparently. Um, yep. And at one point during the story, uh, one of the kids, Lumpy, is sat down in front of a viewer to watch this animated adaptation of one of his father's adventures. Hmm. Hmm. I'm kind of a, it's kind of sad that Lumpy is not a space princess, but whatever. So Hmm. this is the faithful (laughs) Wookiee. And here it is. And remember, these are all the real voices. Yeah. So it's Luke and Leia and the droids awaiting at the rebel base for Han Solo and Chewbacca to return with some kind of talisman, which is some kind of important. And they see the, the Millennium Falcon come out of light speed, but they can't make radio contact. Instead, they use one ring to get a visual. Actually, no, I guess this wouldn't be one ring. I guess it's I guess it's reasonable for them to have a visual communicator with their ship. Sure. Uh, they get a visual. Chewbacca is flying the ship and Han is hanging unconscious behind him. What the heck? And they're not going to this base. So Luke decides to head after them with R2 with him, and they also, they need C-3PO, because if Han is incapacitated, then they won't be able to understand Chewie, and C-3PO knows a bunch of languages. Makes sense. Yeah. So all so far, this is all lining up. So mm. they head out in a Y-Wing, and the Falcon fires on them, but Luke determines that Chewie isn't trying to hit them, because Chewie's aim is too good for that. He wouldn't miss if he, was, if he wasn't trying to. The Millennium Falcon crashes in the gooey purple sea of a moon in the Panna system. And Luke follows. But when he lands, the Y-Wing is immediately assaulted by a big dinosaur creature that starts eating the ship. And so they eject the front pod thing. Uh, And they are rescued by a friendly stranger who's riding another one of these beasts. And this stranger identifies himself as Boba Fett. Yes, this is the canonical, well, debatably canonical, first appearance (laughs) of Boba Fett. Because remember, he wasn't in the first Star Wars. He didn't show up until The Empire Strikes Back. But it turns out Mm -hmm. he shows up here. Now, he he says he's a friend. He has no love for the Empire, blah, blah, blah. So they make friends. They get into the Falcon and Chewie is about to destroy the talisman and Luke immediately collapses. Now, R2 has detected a virus that only affects humans. This seems to happen a lot, that there's always something that only affects the humans. Where's the things that only affect specific races? Right. Anyway, um, so they're unconscious, and to keep them alive, they have to hang them upside down so all the blood will keep running into their brains. And I have to say, at this point, I thought, so far, this is actually pretty intelligent. Like, none of this is ridiculous. (laughs) <laughs> okay. I mean, some of it looks ridiculous, but the idea of it so far is like, okay, th- this, this tracks. 
Okay. Now, Boba Fett knows about this virus. He knows that the Empire sometimes uses it against their enemies, and he knows that they can get an antidote in the nearby city. So he's going to go, but Chewbacca, who you understand owes a life debt to Han Solo, is fiercely loyal and insists on coming along. Though he does have to hide in the shadows while Boba Fett gets the serum. And Boba does get the serum. But he also uses a public telephone thing <laughs> to contact Darth Vader, who at this point is the main villain of Star Wars. They're, they know there's an emperor, but he's not really established yet. Uh, the droids are able to patch into the One Ring and they learn that Boba Fett is a bounty hunter employed by the Empire. Again, accurate. Although... Can you imagine passers-by on the street just seeing Darth Vader on the screen? You know, like nudging each other. Holy crap, it's Darth Vader! Yeah, yeah, really. Yeah, true. <laughs> um, maybe it's like an ATM screen where if you're not looking at it straight on, it just goes black. Oh, yeah, yeah. Privacy. Um, mm. So as Boba and Chewie head back to the Millennium Falcon, stormtroopers chase after them. Now, Boba shoots at them, and I presume intentionally misses, but Chewie isn't yeah. having that. He takes the gun and just shoots him down, because he has good aim, as we alluded to earlier. And back mm. at the ship, they administer the serum to the humans, including a ridiculous-looking Han Solo. Oh, he is freaking great. Oh, my gosh. Oh, it's so good. Oh, it's hilarious. Yeah. It's a hilarious caricature of Han Solo. Yeah. Um... But then the droids expose that Boba Fett is an ally of the Empire. They say that he's Darth Vader's right-hand man, which uh, is not at all accurate. Um, mm. I guess at this point, Darth Vader doesn't really have a right-hand man. I think he's holding out for Luke. Um, yeah. Anyway, with his cover blown and Han Solo isn't as hot-headed in this, or maybe Harrison Ford just isn't as enthusiastic in his acting... So, Bo so Boba Fett is able to escape completely unmolested. And Chewie tells everyone that he knew Boba Fett was no good because he didn't smell right. <laughs> That's the end. Um, so let's see. The okay, so you're going to break down how the plan doesn't make any sense. Yeah? The, the plan? Which Boba's plan. Oh, it's well, I, okay. well, he... <laughs> Hmm, I guess. Well, you see, well, I, I well, figure the, the, only thing, the only thing that makes sense is that he wants to infiltrate the rebellion. Um, and I think that would be, yes. Because he saves Luke. Mm -hmm. Luke was probably going to die. Yep. And he actually brings a cure back for Han and Luke. Mm -hmm. So what next? I guess he infiltrates the rebellion, right? Because I guess at this point... Getting rid of Han and Luke is no big deal, but I think they really should have. He should have um, gotten Luke aboard the Falcon so that he'd pass out, then take Chewie to the city for an ambush, and then have everybody, have the Empire just, uh, you know, scrap the Millennium Falcon and get rid of the guy who blew up the Death Star and the guy who shot down Darth Vader. Counterpoint, Darth Vader says yeah. on the phone call that he wants them alive. Oh, right, right. Huh. So I guess the plan was well, to cure them to make sure they don't die. Then, I guess, incapacitate them all, like tie them up and fly the Millennium Falcon to Coruscant? Jeez. If he's going to do that, they should have... He should have just led Chewie into a trap. 
Hmm. All's oh hey. What? Well, no, no, I was, I I, I forgot. This is this is different. I'm th- I'm thinking about Boba Fett's like because what he did in the movies was the bounty he was hunting. Like he he was working for the Empire to get Luke and Leia and them, but Han was the one that he wanted because there had been a bounty already issued by Jabba the Hutt. Right. Um, so maybe that's what it, maybe it's an earlier version of the plot of the Empire Strikes Back, where he's like, like I guess this is, this is yeah. my first attempt at getting Luke to the Empire and hand to Jabba. And Jabba quasi exists because he's in the cut footage. As he's mentioned. This point. He, yeah, he well, yeah. he's reinstated in the you know special edition. Yes. But terribly. but even with that aside, he <laughs> uh, Greedo does mention him. So, yeah, that's true. So, that's true. yeah. And. You want to talk about reinstated? If you watch that uh, that scene put back in with uh, Slug Java put over that guy that's just like oh yeah, in, um, in front of the Millennium Falcon, having a little conversation with him. Yes, yes. And at the end of the scene, Boba Fett walks into frame and turns to camera like, "Hey, I'm here. See, it's Boba oh, Fett." I don't think I caught that. Maybe oh, maybe so that's in stupid. a is that because they've done a couple of different redos. Yes, yes. They they managed to make it worse. <laughs> I do. You know what? I actually own that on DVD. Um, oh, check it out. It's just it's well, it's just that I haven't watched it because the DVD. I specifically bought this version of the DVD because it's a two pack that also includes the unedited original version. Oh, okay. So I've never bothered to watch the fully edited version. I saw the the special editions in the theaters. Um, yeah, it's actually interesting because of that. Uh. I have seen eight of the nine Star Wars movies in theaters. Uh, the, huh. the only one I've not seen is the most recent one. The episode nine. I, I've seen them all, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Um, boy, this is a lot of talk about Star Wars and not a lot about Christmas because this is from the holiday right. episode, but it doesn't have anything to do with it. It doesn't have anything to do with the thing that they're doing in the episode either. It's just a random thing that lumpy that's uh Chewbacca's son yeah. is just watching while stormtroopers are attacking the home. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, but let's see. It's yeah. so the animation, it looks very much like um, uh, rock and rule. Uh, yeah. It has all the well, even. Hmm? Yeah. Well, it's it's it, it's kind of neat. I, it I, is. Like, I think. Yeah. I, I like the setting. It's mm-hmm. pretty cool. Yeah. This this sludgy world and it's weird little candor uh, like domed city. Yep. Um, I I and, laughed aloud the first time I saw Luke. This is just gigantic. The caricatures are the caricatures are awesome. <laughs> it's so funny. I I wish droids had looked this cool. <laughs> You're not <laughs> wrong. I mean, if you see that Han Solo, it's amazing. Oh, um, yeah. They should be cartoonish like that, and yeah, Leia yeah. looks funny too. Because you could see, yeah. like, oh yeah, that's Harrison Ford, sure. Um, but yeah. boy. Um, Harrison Ford does not care. Like he reads the most, he's so wooden. Anthony Daniels, Anthony Daniels sounds more like a robot in this than he does in the Star Wars movies. Um, yeah, it's funny. And this, this establishes, uh, that follows through in droids that C-3PO has got a sideways blink. Oh yeah. His, his, his eyes. Yeah. Close sideways. Yeah. Um, Mark Hamill, you know, he was putting some effort into it. You could see sure. you could see him kind of thinking, oh, this voice acting thing might be the trick. <laughs> now I just need a yeah, role where I can yeah. laugh more. Um, <laughs> Ironic. Yeah. Seeing as how that laugh kills his voice. Yeah. Um, 
Now, another voice that's worth potentially mentioning here is Don Franks. Uh, yeah, the, yeah. The classic Canadian voice actor who uh, voiced uh, Dr. Claw and Mock in Rock and Roll. Mock. Mock. Yeah. There is debate over whether he is in this, because if he is, it's an uncredited role as Boba Fett. Mm. And that makes because he is Boba Fett in the other cartoons like droids. It sounds like him. It does sound like him. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and this whole thing is uncredited. Like, mm. I guess it was reconstructed. David Akamba directed it. Mm. But uh, yeah, in, in the actual special, no credits for these poor animators. Oh, for the anime. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No. Uh, well, yeah. So. So. Uh, it's a yeah. it's a you, weird little relic that I kind of like. It's. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it, it looks so goofy that you can't help but be charmed by it. But it's also, like I said, it's recognizable. Like, wow, that <laughs> that is totally how somebody in 2022 on Twitter would draw Han Solo. <laughs> yes. I. Part of me wonders mm. if the, you know, the blocky character designs in modern Star Wars cartoons like the Clone yes, Wars. Yeah. I wonder if they're part homage to this. Oh, interesting. Maybe. Especially since the first take on them was uh, Gandhi Tartakovsky, right? So. Oh, yeah. That. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. So. It's too bad you didn't watch the rest of the special, bad as it is. Yeah. There's some interesting, like, boy, you want to see Harrison Ford seem disinterested? <laughs> watch the special. Although, and. and you want to see a Mark Hamill looking funny? Watch the special. He looks <laughs> hilarious in it. His hair and his makeup. Oh, my God. And uh, But there's so much boring crap in this special. <laughs> like, it's just, it is totally random nonsense. Hmm. Um, but in there, you get some interesting stuff. Like, there's uh, there's a musical number in the cantina, and the owner of it is apparently B. Arthur. Yes, I did read that. It's it's pretty good. Um, and then uh, Chewie's dad, Itchy, there, there's a bit where he puts on some goggles and a weird, like, <laughs> a weird, uh, uh, I guess, apron. <laughs> um, and he uh, experiences some ASMR with this human woman saying, like, I am everything. I am the galaxy or stuff like that. And meanwhile, these weird jaws move around like, oh, this is hot. <laughs> it's so bizarre. <laughs> I read in the synopsis that Chewbacca's wife contacts Luke. Um, yes. Now, how does that go? Like, does she make Chewbacca noises at him? And Luke's like, what that? You say that the Empire is on Kashyyyk? Oh, you mean that it totally belies the that he can't understand Chewbacca when he can understand his wife in the same special? Yeah. Yeah, he does. Mm. Yeah, it's a good point. He is like, no, I'm sure he'll be there for life day. <laughs> there was one of the books I remember reading where they went to Kashyyyk and um, they were talking to a Wookiee and Leia was able to understand him pretty well. And, mm. and she's like, oh, Chewbacca, have you had a speech impediment this whole time? And Chewbacca laughed and the other Wookiee's like, actually, I have the speech impediment. It makes it easier to understand. Oh, ha. <laughs> I had a storybook about Lumpy, actually. Really? <laughs> Chewbacca's son. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's funny. Boy, I'm connecting all the things in here. In uh, in the special, you, you know how the Wookiee's homes are like uh, these tree houses? Yeah. He's, 
he's uh, like walking on the rail, balancing, going back and forth. Mm-hmm. But in the book, he falls off and has to be rescued from the dangerous uh, forest floor of Kashyyyk. Mm. Hmm. Whoa. Weird, man. Yeah. Um, well, wasn't even a lot to do with Life Day in this, but still a pretty fun time, I think. Yeah, it's something I hadn't seen before, and I'm glad I did, because it ties into Rock and Roll. Uh, it's a yeah. Star Wars thing. Oh, and by the way, mm-hmm. yes, this ties into Weird Al Yankovic, because in his music video uh-huh. for White and Nerdy, uh, there is a scene where he is obtaining an illicit VHS copy of the Star Wars Holiday Special. So... All roads are leading back All to Al. All roads lead to Weird Al Yankovic. Will next week's roads lead to Weird Al Yankovic? I don't know. Um, what are we doing? Okay. Uh, we're staying with the Christmas spirit, or the Xmas spirit. The snowy spirit. I can't speak for what you're going to give me, but, Matsy, for you, <laughs> I am giving you a special called 12 Tiny Christmas Tales. Hmm. Interesting. Not a hundred percent sure what that is, but maybe I'll find out when I watch it. Um, I hope you'll go like, Oh, when you see it, mm, we'll see. My first thought is the claymation thing, but I think that's called like a claymation Christmas or something. Mm. Um, well, I got one for you. (laughs) Uh, This is so dumb. (laughs) Okay. Did you know that Louis Anderson had a cartoon? Oh my God. God, I watched a Louis Anderson comedy thing recently. <laughs> yes, I do. Ironic. Louis Anderson and Rosine Bar- Ro- Rosine, Roseanne Barr both had cartoons about their childhood, and it makes you wonder, like, didn't they have unhappy, abused childhoods? Why did they make this? Anyway. Well, because it yes, was Yes, Life with Louis. Yeah, Life with Louis. Um, before it was a... Se- it's kind of like The Simpsons in that before it was an actual series, they started with a Christmas special. Um, yeah. So... This is the Christmas episode and also the first episode of the eventual series. Uh, The title of it is A Christmas Surprise for Mrs. Stillman. All right. Yeah. So we got 12 tiny Christmas tales and a Christmas surprise for Mrs. Stillman. Yes. Yes. Okay. All right. So look forward to that, guys. Um, Uh. In the meanwhile, tell us what to watch. Tell us what to talk about. Um, maybe tell us what your favorite Christmas cookie is. You can convey all this through Twitter. I'm at DrabSwatch. Uh, I like sugar cookies, but shortbread is also not bad. Um, oh, shortbread, yes. Yeah, um, there's a bakery around here, a chain called Cobb's Bakeries, and they make some delicious eggnog scones, which isn't a cookie, but still. Mm. Um, yeah, and also give us a t- gift, because this is... Well, no, this isn't Christmas yet. Next week will be Christmas. But uh, you can still give us a Christmas gift of uh, sharing this podcast on every social media platform you're a part of. Facebook, mm. Mastodon, Truth Social. <laughs> um, oh, God. Yeah. Uh, Parlor. Yeah, go the whole oh, conservative. Yeah. Um, show yourself listening to it on Periscope. Uh, <laughs> try publishing it on Quibi and see what happens. I'm at AC Matsy. And now... For Christmas times, here's our celery stalker slogan from a galaxy far, far away, probably. 
Well, let's get off this galactic raindrop. Captain Kazan, Starlog Entry 324-1, signing off. May the Force be with you.